Hey everybody and welcome back to I Just Want to Talk About the Bible. If this is your first time with us, then welcome. I'm glad that you're here. My name is Christian Keeter and I live in the southeast of the United States of America with my amazing, beautiful, godly wife Lacey and our two wonderful daughters, Felicity and Serenity. So today we're going to continue talking about the topic of wisdom, which is something that we've discussed quite a bit in recent episodes, namely episodes 32 and 35. And I didn't really mean for it to become a mini-series on wisdom, but that's just kind of how things are unfolding. And so episodes 32, 35, uh, at least this episode, it'll all be a conversation about wisdom. And I'll probably go back and change the title to include the phrase wisdom mini-series or something like that, just as a point of reference. But just as last time, in episode 35, we looked at a very specific facet of wisdom, that's what we're going to look at today as well. And we see this exemplified in the life of Moses. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 18. Now let me just do a little bit of context work here. I'm not going to go too deep into detail, although I will go ahead and say, if you haven't heard it, episode 4 of this podcast, which is a brief overview of the Old Testament, would be helpful. Um, Anytime we're talking about, uh, well, I think it's just helpful in general, but whenever we're talking about a narrative in the Old Testament, it's really helpful to be able to place it in where exactly in the Old Testament it takes place. And so if you haven't heard it, you can listen to episode four of this podcast. I'm not going to reteach all of that here. However, I do want to do, like I said, a little context work so that we're aware of what's going on. So in Exodus 18, by this point, the Lord has delivered Israel out of the hand of Egypt by Moses. The ten plagues have already happened. They've already crossed through the Red Sea, and they've passed through the waters and have been passing through the wilderness on their way to Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai is where the Ten Commandments, among many other laws, are going to be given. A covenant is going to be formed. It's a really crucial part of the narrative. But they're on their way to Mount Sinai right now. So, let's see here, beginning in Exodus 18. And again, like I said, we could spend a whole lot more time doing context work than that, but I'm just, I'm just trying to get us to see one specific thing today that has to do with our conversation about wisdom. So in Exodus 18, it says, beginning in verse 1, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the first one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. So let's stop there. And that was uh, that was Exodus 18, 1 through 5. So Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, is there. Now, if you want to read more about Moses and Jethro and um, how Moses met his wife Zipporah, you can go read that in Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through, let's see, 22. And so I'm not going to read all through that right here. Um, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, is also called Ruel, and he's called Ruel in that passage in Exodus chapter 2. So Jethro meets Moses, and he brings with him Moses' wife and his two sons to meet up with Moses. And it says that they met him at the mountain of God. 
In verse 5, it says, I'll reread verse 5 here of Exodus 18. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and, uh, and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now, let me flip back to Exodus 3 really quickly here. Exodus 3 is going to be the account of the burning bush. This is before Moses, you know, went back into Egypt or anything like that. This is where he encounters the Lord um, in the midst of the burning bush, and the Lord sends him back to Egypt to be the deliverer through whom God is going to liberate Israel. So in Exodus 3.1, it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Thus Exodus 3.1, at this point in the narrative, you remember that Moses was being raised in Pharaoh's household. Um, he saw a, an Egyptian taskmaster uh, abusing a Hebrew slave. He killed the Egyptian. He was found out. He fled out into the wilderness before Pharaoh could get his hands on him. And he stayed out there, and he was and he had been living in Midian. That's where, again, you can read Exodus 2, uh, Exodus 1 and 2 for more of those details. And that's where he met uh, his wife, Zipporah, and all of this stuff began to happen. But my point is just... My point is just that Horeb is the mountain of God. And so here we are back at the mountain of God again in Exodus 18. And also Horeb has another name, um, arguably a more well-known name, which is Sinai. So Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, they are, they're referring to the, uh, the same location. In fact, just, uh, let me just give kind of a, um, let me just give you a verse here to, uh, illustrate that. So in Deuteronomy 5, and then I'm going to slip right back. This is, this is just kind of marginal. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our, the Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. And so there you go. It says he made a covenant with us in Horeb. However, as you're reading in Exodus, um, actually beginning in chapter 19, it talks about Israel at Mount Sinai. And so that's neither here nor there. That's just, you know, a fun little fact. And it's, uh, it's, it's helpful just to have that sort of stuff in mind when you read the Bible. So let's just get into chapter 18 and see what this is actually about. Um, I don't want to spend all the time just talking about the context and not actually get to the content. So continuing verse 6 of Exodus 18, it says, And when he, talking about Jethro, of course, sent word to Moses... I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And so that's through verse 9. So Jethro gets there. They go into the tent. They're catching up. And they're just talking about all these incredible things that the Lord has done. And Moses is catching him up to speed about how God had delivered him out of the hands of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, um, by whom they had been oppressed and enslaved. Continuing verse 10. It says, Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. 
So that's through verse 12. I just think it's great there. So Moses shares all that the Lord has done, is talking about the incredible deliverance that God has worked on behalf of Israel. And what does this lead to? This leads to God being praised. You heard what Jethro just said in those passages. And so just, uh, this isn't the point of this episode, but I mean, when the Lord is doing cool stuff in your life, it's worth sharing. It's worth talking to other people about. It's worth sharing with others, both believers and those who are yet to believe, um, who are not yet Christians, just to, to share this because it brings glory to the Lord. So continuing in verse 13, it says, The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. So we'll stop there. That's through verse 16. So Jethro sees... Uh, his son-in-law, Moses, sitting here from morning till evening, it says, all day long. And people are coming to him, coming to him, coming to him. It says he judges between the, or he judges the people. It says that they, um, they come to him to inquire of God, or when they have a dispute, they come to Moses and Moses decides between one person and the other. And he teaches them the statutes. He says, I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And so Moses is serving in this role for the people. And it's a large group of people. And just the very fact that there are enough people waiting that day by day, they're coming to him from morning until evening. That indicates just how, how big of a you know group of people this is. And also just how exhausting this job would be for Moses. And so he's doing this. And what he's doing is a very good thing. Like, obviously, these people need this. They need the counsel. They, they need this. He is, he's leading them. He's guiding them. He's helping them walk in the ways of God. He is being a peacemaker by being a, uh, a mediator between these people and then um, settling disputes. So, continuing on, in verse 17... It says, Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. (laughs) You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to do... You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Okay, so let's just pause for a second here before we continue in the passage. So Jethro sees what Moses is doing, how he is sunrise to sunset, uh, interacting with these people, deciding these disputes, and how it's, it's just him, he's doing it alone, and how it is consuming all of his time. And Jethro says, this isn't good. In fact, he says, the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. He says that at the end of um, verse 18. And so Jethro comes in and offers him some advice. 
And, you know, <laughs> maybe the wisdom is listen to your father-in-law. That's a very wise thing to do. And so Jethro comes in and uh, with, with some advice here, and he says, listen, select people to help you with this. Delegate some of this responsibility. Part of Jethro's advice was delegation. He said, let's just look at the passage one more time here. He said, um, in verse 19, he says, I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. And so, you know, Moses is still teaching them the laws. Moses is is still teaching them the statutes. Um, And so what we're talking about is not abdicating responsibility, but delegating some responsibility. And we're going to discuss that a little bit more in just a moment. And Jethro, of course, goes on to say, Moreover, look for able men. From all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And then he talks about placing those people in various levels of um, just influence and delegating to them certain uh, measures of responsibility. And for them to decide the cases and for the ones that they can't decide to bring those to Moses. And in this way, Moses is not going to um, totally burn out, wear himself out entirely. So then uh, we'll talk about that more in just a moment. But continuing out, uh, let's finish out the passage here. In verses 24 through 27 of Exodus 18, it says, So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. So again, pause there. Wise man. Listen to the voice of his father-in-law. Continuing in verse 25, Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. So that's the end of the passage. I love how Jethro shows up one day, spends a night, drops some wisdom, and then just pieces out. And just, it's like, I don't know. It's it's like a covert wisdom mission. Uh, not really, of course, but I just think it's kind of funny that he shows up, spends one night there, and just has this incredible insight from Moses and uh, which no doubt served Moses very well, and Moses applied immediately, it says, or it implies. So what's the principle here? The principle is, I've already used the word delegate, I've already used the word, um, you know, and, and said not abdicating, but to delegate. And so when you look at this passage, we might be tempted to think, well, you know, that's a great thing for like an organizational leader, that's a great thing for somebody who's in some sort of position of uh, like practical leadership or nominal leadership that like they bear a title or something like that. But I would say that this applies to every single one of us. And this is how it applies to every single one of us. There are things that only we can do. And then there are things that others can do. Here in the narrative with Moses, there were things that Moses only could do. And those difficult cases were brought to him. Moses occupied a very spe- uh, special position. He had a very specific calling of God on his life. And he, he, he led the people. God used him to deliver them out of Egypt. God spoke to Moses. God gave him the Ten Commandments and the other laws. And Moses occupied a very, very special, specific position. And so let's think of it like this. You know, he's going to be going up beginning in the next chapter, in chapter 19. He's going to go up on Mount Sinai. But what if he were to say, you know, I can't go up right now because all the people down here need me to decide their disputes. 
need me to settle between these things. Now that's, I mean, obviously that's just kind of silly when we think about it. That's not what happened. And there's zero implication in the text that that would have happened. And so I'm not trying to read something into the text. All I'm trying to illustrate is that, listen, Moses was the one that was called up on the mountain to go and to uh, receive the Ten Commandments from the Lord and these other laws and statutes. And you know, what if he had, you know, neglected that responsibility and done something that other people could have done? Again, the text does not imply at all that that's how things would have unfolded or even, there's nothing like that. I'm just trying to use the illustration of Moses to make a point. So what does this have to do with us? So let me flip over to Exodus. That's, okay, that's not what I'm going to say. Ephesians, another e-book of the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2. It's a really famous passage, of course. It says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so I just want to say that God has a calling on your life. There are things that God has prepared for you to do. He's got a calling on your life. Anybody who's who calls himself a Jesus follower, there are just there are good works that God has already organized for you to walk in, and you have a special place in the kingdom of God. We have the image in the New Testament in multiple places, like Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, about the church is the body of Christ. All born-again believers form the body of Christ, and each different believer has a unique function, just like each body part has a different sort of function. And the whole body needs the whole body. The, the hands need the feet. The eyes need the ears. I mean, we, the, the body needs the body. And there, every single part is going to be indispensable. And so you have a role to play in that. Um, regardless what you think about yourself, regardless about how you feel about yourself, when you look at other people that you might think are more gifted, you have a specific role to play. God has good works for you. And so what we're talking about today is, is this sort of thing. You know, it can be really, really easy to get caught up doing things that anybody could do and neglect things that God has called us to do, like part of God's specific calling on our lives. So let me use an example from my own life. Um, I feel very strongly called of the Lord to teach the Bible. Uh, I, I've, I don't know if I've ever shared this on the podcast, but it's had a, uh, I feel like the Lord really made it very, very clear at the end of, I believe it was 2018, that he had called me to teach. And and that's just what I believe a, a big part of his calling on my life is. And so this podcast is an example or a function of that. This, this is trying to cooperate with God's call on my life to teach the Bible. So suppose, I mean, suppose I got so caught up in administrative tasks so let's just use this podcast as an example. Suppose I uh, took a whole bunch of time and built a really sleek looking website and made it look super sharp and, uh, you know, nice and organized, even put the podcast episodes in there in a really nice way and, uh, and, and did that, which by the way, spoiler, I, I will be working on a, on a website. And so I'll keep you guys updated on that when that thing will be live. I'm not exactly sure at what point that's going to be, but hopefully in the not too distant future. But, but my point is just, you know, I just spent all this time working on this website, which is a good thing. It's great. It's, it's a wonderful thing, but suppose I did that and I just got so busy and consumed doing that that I actually stopped recording podcast episodes. 
Well, I'm kind of missing the point for one thing, but two, it's just like I, I'm neglecting what I'm specifically called to do to work on this other good thing. But it would have been better for one, me just to take longer with the website or two, ask somebody to help me with it than neglect what God had called me to do. And so that's my point. You have a calling. There are things that God has called you to do. And a lot of times we get so caught up in dealing with the urgent that we ignore the important. We get so caught up in putting out fires that we don't actually move forward and lean into what God has called us to do. Let me use another example from my life. I, as you heard in the introduction to this this episode and every episode, my wife's name is Lacey. I am her husband. And our daughter's names are Felicity and Serenity. I am their father. That is a unique role to me. I am Lacey's husband. I am Felicity and Serenity's father. That is a unique role. Only I am Lacey's husband and only I am Felicity and Serenity's dad. And so what's my point? If I were to hypothetically neglect that and do something else, I am neglecting something that only I can do for things that other people could do. And so... One example or one helpful way of thinking through this is to ask yourself the question, what are things that only I can do? What are things that God has specifically called me to? What the specifics? Because a lot of times we'll ignore the specific things he's called us to and do things that might be important, but they're secondary by comparison. Um, so let me just use an example. Uh, you know, I, I have the privilege of... Uh, discipling some people and I want to be available to those people uh, as much as I can be. However, if I become more available to those people than I do to my own family, then I'm missing something. That's a good thing that I'm doing helping those people, but lots of people could disciple them, but only I am Lacey's husband and Felicity and Serenity's dad. And so that's just an example, keeping things in their proper order, keeping the uh, priorities correct. And so Moses, we see this in his life as well with Jethro's advice where he's getting worn out, he's getting burnt out. And honestly, there's just a lot of things that we should probably even say no to. But I want to give you an example from the New Testament of the same principle from the book of Acts. And this is Acts chapter 6. Yeah. So this is after Pentecost. This is after Jesus has... Um, died, been buried, rose, and ascended back to heaven. This is after the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, and so the church has really been born in a very powerful way. And things are growing just extremely quickly. And so just, again, in Acts chapter 2, this is, you already know this probably, but in Acts chapter 2, Peter gives this sermon. At the end of the sermon, it says that, I'm looking for the exact verse here, in verse 41 of chapter 2, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So that's that's quite the altar call. Uh, you Peter preached a sermon, and 3,000 people were born again, and the numbers just continued to grow. They continued to grow, and so we're here in Acts chapter 6, which says, beginning in verse 1, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So let me pause there. Hellenists here. Uh, Hellenists, it says down here, I'll just read the footnote in the ESV down here. It says, that is Greek-speaking Jews. So a little bit of a cultural sort of thing going on here. But what's the complaint? The complaint is that the Hellenists, the Hellenistic Jews, their widows were being neglected 
uh, by comparison to the Hebrew Jews. And so uh, the church was helping, you know, to care for these widows. And that's obviously caring for widows is a very, very important thing. Uh, you can read about that plenty of places in the Bible. Uh, James one twenty seven talks about widows and orphans, and uh, there's there's other things too. So, um, but carrying on to this passage, it says in verse two and following, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. So Paul's the twelve. Those are going to refer to the apostles, of course, like Peter, James, and John, and so on. So, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, "It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables." Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And I'll go ahead and read verse 7 as well. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples, con- uh, the, I'm sorry, the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So I'll stop there. That was Acts 6, uh, 1 through 7. And so what's going on here? The Well, the original deacons are chosen, and uh, I find it interesting as well. One similarity between this account with Jethro and Moses, and then also here, it's just some of the like the qualifications there for the people who are being put in positions of leadership or um, influence was being delegated to. There were expectations of these people, and there were certain character qualities that were requirements for them to even be in this position. Which, as a side note, if you're going to delegate responsibility, if you're going to bring other people into a situation, help help you carry this, make sure they have good character. I mean, make sure that don't just look for skill, look for character. And uh, in fact, one thing that my boss uh, said to me a long time ago, he, he said, hire for character because you can train for skill. And I thought that was a really, really good word. So uh, they choose these these deacons, these seven guys, and I did my best pronouncing their names. But what was the whole thing? Peter says, the disciples, the twelve, they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And so what's happening is just that they're their focus was being drawn away from what they were uniquely fitted to do by by something that was good and practical and serving widows. It's a very good thing, very good. But they said, they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And so here you go. Imagine you have the 12 and they're not preaching. They're serving tables all day long. They're doing what others could do and neglecting what they only could do or what they were uniquely fitted to do in the Lord's calling on their lives. And it goes on uh, in verse four, they said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so this is how, what, what is the wisdom here? What is the wisdom? We're talking about continuing a conversation about wisdom. The wisdom is this, what has the Lord called you to do? And what are the unique positions that you occupy? And are you excelling in fulfilling those roles? Or are they getting pushed to the back burner in the name of things that, relatively speaking, are not, I don't want to say not as important, because it's all important, but that other people could do or things that could wait. I hope that makes sense. So, like I said, the Lord has a calling on your life. There is something that he has uniquely fitted you to do. And and he's called you to do this. Again, look at Romans 12, look at 1 Corinthians 12, the illustrations of the body, spiritual gifts, all these things. You have a unique role to play. 
But if you allow all your time to be eaten up doing things that aren't imperative or that other people could do, then you might be missing it. You might be just being distracted. And so what do you do? Well, for one, on the obvious application point is ask questions like, is there somebody else I can delegate this to? Is there somebody else who will be able to help me with this? Because, you know, most likely there are people out there who would actually enjoy what has just become something that's pulling you away from what you need to be doing. And let me be transparent with you. Uh, Let me be transparent with all you guys. This is not something that I'm naturally good at. (laughs) Full disclosure, I am not naturally good at this. I am, a lot of times, I have allowed myself to get distracted by administrative work and neglected things like... uh, whether like maybe even teaching or things that the Lord has called me to do Um, times I could have been working on outlines or uh, trying to produce content, which is something, again, I feel like God has called me to do. I've spent doing things that most anybody could do or things that I should have allowed just to take longer to complete so that I wouldn't neglect the things that the Lord has called me to do. So I would say I, this is something we're all learning this together, and this requires certain skills, like the skill of saying no to certain things, um, because the bottom line is we have very limited resources. Some of the primary resources that we're going to be dealing with are going to be time, energy, and money, and those are all limited, and so we have to be wise at how we invest all these things. We have to make sure that we are most leaning into what the Lord has called us to do and uniquely outfitted us to do, and so again, to recap, what are the questions? What are the things that God has called you to do? What are the things that only you can do? And some of these things are obvious. If you're married, only you can fill the role of spouse to your spouse. If you have children, only you can fill that unique role. You and your spouse are your child's only parents. And then, you know, to get a little broader, your calling, your giftedness, you're uniquely gifted to do this. And and and, and that's not necessarily a function of only you can do that. So, for example, lots of people teach the Bible. But the thing is, it's like, well, just leaning in is, well, what has God called me to do? I want to invest my time to cooperate with that because I don't want to do stuff that every single solitary person can do and ignore kind of the unique function of the body that he's given me. And so asking these sorts of questions. And it might even be helpful to ask people who are close to you to say, hey, do you see me doing this? Do you see me... Uh, getting so caught up in the urgent that I'm neglecting the important. But ask the Lord to show you. Ask him to give you wisdom. Like we've talked about in episodes recently, he gives wisdom. He'll give us the wisdom. Help us. Uh, I ask him to help me to um, see things from his perspective very, very frequently. And so this all falls underneath that. And so I hope this is just another practical tool in your belt, so to speak, that you could pull out as you begin to look at your life and begin to try to apply biblical wisdom to your circumstances. As always, I hope that it's been practical and encouraging and motivating. And I hope that you guys are doing very, very well. God bless you. Until next time.